Here we go. You ready? Nope. I'll wait quietly. No, wait loudly. Uh... <laughs> I fell down a big pit. That's what oh, I see. <laughs> It's the Doom to Fail podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tim Dobbs, and with me, as usual, is the Cactus Queen of Arizona, Catherine Kogert. I am not. It's good to be here. You notice I, I call you royalty a lot. I don't know why. It's because I'm so it's regal. Just... <laughs> That's probably it. And you wear those robes. <laughs> oh, the robes. Alright, let's get started. As regular listeners to this podcast know, we split our podcast up into a number of series, and each week we bring you a different recurring series. One of our favorite series, they're all our favorites, is Ancient Robots. Crunching, cracking, creeping to life, Ancient Robots. This week on Ancient Robots, Alexander of Heron. Pretty cool guy. He absolutely was, Tim. Yeah, let's jump right into it. I think uh, you're, you're um, well, you're just cooler than me. And so, of course, you know more about Alexander Perron. I wouldn't say it's because I'm cooler than you. There's other adjectives I could use to indicate my greater knowledge of Alexander Perron. Whatever you need. But let, let's not go into that. <laughs> so um, this guy, Alexander Perron, he, he literally wrote the book on automata, which is... Um, code word not really code word let's say synonym not code word at all for robots <laughs> <laughs> the automatized landed you mean the robot yeah <laughs> exactly um because literally one of his best known publications is called automata i mean he wrote the book which i think is great when, when did he when, when did he write this book? Very few books uh, are published with such simple names. I'm, I'm not going to give you an exact year, Tim. I'm sorry. Mm. But um, you'll remember that this is, a, this is a time when very few books have been written, period. So not all the good titles have been taken yet. Okay. Can you ballpark <laughs> it for me? Well, okay. So he Was it BC? It. Was it AD? I would, I would say first century. So, like, 0 to 100 A.D. Okay. Yeah. So Early yeah. on. This is, like, the, the height of Greek culture. And, um, cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, this guy, Heron of Alexandria, um, obviously lived in Alexandria, which is the center of culture. In Egypt. In, in Egypt. And, mm -hmm. eh, Greece, pretty much, because... Eh, same thing at this well, point. Well, yeah, I mean, it was it was Greece had controlled Egypt, the whole Cleopatra thing, you know. 
You know, I don't say I probably don't know that story as well as I should. Oh, me neither. <laughs> we just heard everything I know about it. I smell a new series. <laughs> so, so he's hanging out in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, and uh, you know, living the high Greek life. And he says, uh, "What's he do?" He says, "I'm going to write this book. You know, automata are pretty cool." Um, I would say he was probably born into some wealth. He probably had a lot of. As, uh, as everyone we ever talk about in history was. <laughs> Almost nobody is in the history books who was born poor. They Jurassic just Park? born poor, lived poor, died poor. Okay, well, you've got your one example. Yeah. Sure. Um, let's see who else we got. I don't know. That might be it. Oliver Twist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that real person. You're right. <laughs> That non-fictional person. <laughs> um, the list goes on. The list goes on and on. Romulus and Remus, raised by wolves. That was probably real, right? Mowgli from the Jungle Book? Yes, right? He was very poor. <laughs> he was in the 99%. So poor, yeah. He, he didn't even have the bare necessities. Okay, um, but so this this rich fella, Alexander Perron, uh, you know, being a rich person, he was he was into flair, right? He he sort of a uh, showiness. You know, I correct? wouldn't even say it was because he was rich. I would say that he just had a lot of money. He loved crafting things. He loved not only like like the science behind stuff and learning about pneumatics, which was a specialty, and pneumatics is going to be the movement of air and using air to your advantage and using different air pressures to create movement and stuff like that. Would you say that's a fair description of what pneumatics is, Tim? I'd say that's pretty good. Oh, thank Great you. Great work. Thanks. So, I mean, it wasn't even that he was rich that he was willing to showmanship. It's just that because Greece as a culture was pretty rich... They could mm -hmm. afford to do all these crazy showmanship things. And you know who could do That's the fair. most affording of all of these crazy showmanship things? That's right, I said it. The most affording. Alexander of Heron? No. And actually, it's Heron of Alexandria. I've titled this outlining. Oh, you're right. God, I said that wrong like six times. Really? Okay. <laughs> Let's just leave that in. <laughs> oh, no. I'm showing my ignorance. How embarrassing. Um, oh no. <laughs> so you know, you know what he was like, this, this uh, Heron of Alexandria. That makes more sense. Doesn't it? it does. <laughs> yeah, he, he's the um, ancient Greek uh, Lonnie Johnson, right? He just like screwing around and making things go. It's true. No, he did. He I would some, say... Something like that. And L Lonnie Johnson also studied pneumatics. True. Didn't so much study it. He got really rich off pneumatics, but he studied much more complicated things. I would say the major difference between Heron and Lonnie Johnson is uh, that Heron actually really liked doing the crafting things and doing little ornate sculptures and stuff, and that was that was part of the deal for him. And the other thing is that Heron did a lot of his work for like religious organizations. 
Um, uh, sure. Right. Well, I mean, it's ancient Greece, where's the money, you know? No, absolutely. And these pri these priests felt like they needed something really showy to impress their worshippers, to keep people scared, to keep people coming to church, to keep people giving up money, you know. Mm. This is kind of a judgy episode. Well, I'm sorry, that's how ancient Greece was. God. I, that's, I think that's probably fair. <laughs> And one of our episodes isn't judgy. Name one. They're so judgy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're all pretty bad. Right. Hey, I think we're going to be right back and right on track, I promise, with uh, some pretty cool examples of stuff Heron of Alexandria did. This is Doom to Fail. back here on the Doom to Fail podcast, talking about Heron of Alexandria. I am going to keep messing that up. You, you ruined me for it. <laughs> Heron of Alexandria, the cool cat who lived in ancient Greece and was pretty into pneumatic automata. How about some examples? Okay, well, let's start off with some of our simple things. We'll, we'll go mild, and then we'll get into the more spicy um appetizers <laughs> later on this evening it's like being at buffalo wild wings <laughs> or morning we don't know when you're listening to this podcast mm -hmm, mm -hmm. middle of the night what's that about <laughs> go to bed you're in the <laughs> old the haunted the mansion night. in the middle of the night <laughs> anyhow let's get on it um <laughs> so the first thing i want to talk about is one of the very first steam engines ever made ever um it was called an Aeolipile, is that right, Tim? Uh, best as I know, but uh, I don't know when I got appointed the ancient Greek consultant for the <laughs> Doom to Fail podcast. You, you are appointed one of two pronunciation consultants. I am the we other pronunciation consultant. Oh, you're the other one, okay. <laughs> well, so uh, Aeolipile, and that, that translates as windball. Ball, is that right, Captain? Yeah, no, that's you're, right. You're the English consultant, right? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, I think that's adorable. A little wind ball. It's like a snitch. It reminds me of a snitch. Yeah, it kind of does for right? me, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. How this works is we have a cauldron that's sealed and placed over a heat source. So it's starting to heat up and the water inside is uh, starting to boil and it's starting to get hotter and hotter. And as the water boils, steam is starting to rise through the pipes that are coming out of the cauldron and into a hollow sphere. Now the sphere starts to fill up with steam, and as pressure starts to build up steam, it wants to escape the ball, right? So we have two little bent outlet tubes on opposite ends of the sphere, pointed opposite directions. So one would be pointing north, and one would be pointing south. And, and so, as steam starts to escape the ball, 
through those pipes and through those little bent outlet tubes because it's boiling pretty fast now that makes the torque on the ball spin yeah and then it goes Which is, faster and faster i mean pretty cool yeah. what does it do well that's what i haven't figured I out mean, does it make a noise i'd imagine it made like a whistling noise just like a kettle but I mean, you can use this for a lot of other stuff. Obviously, it's a really inefficient steam engine. But you can use it for a lot of things. And one major example is automatic doors. Right. Yeah, because I guess, I guess when you think about an engine, uh, it's just a way of turning heat into usually something that spins. Heat into movement, right. which is exactly what that exactly. did. And so, yeah. Exactly. All right, all right. So we have circular movement on coming board. on. Now, how do we turn that into the type of movement we need to open a door? Right? Now, it isn't using this exact aeola pile, but it's a similar concept. So we have the automatic doors, right? Or we have two doors, and they're closed, and we want to open them, right? So what we need yep. to open these doors, kids at home, don't try this, is to start out with a fiery altar. And, um... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> a fiery altar. Right? Just go into your local Home Depot. <laughs> Excuse me, Mike, that is your name. That's your name tag reads here at Home Depot. <laughs> Where's your fiery altar section? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to aisle three, you can see that fiery altars are on sale this week <laughs> for half price. Oh, man. Beautiful. Anyway, so we need our fiery altar and uh, that we need to place that above a sphere that's half filled with water, right? Above a sphere? Yes. The sphere doesn't go above the, the altar? The sphere is underground. Oh! Oh, cool! Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the sphere is going to be underneath the fiery altar, underground, and it's going to be half filled with water, and that's going to be hooked up. And then to be clear, this this sphere does not have the spinny things like no. the other sphere did. Like no, the sphere pile. doesn't. Um, but it does have a siphon that leads into a hanging bucket, right? So, mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like the sphere is half filled with water, and it's below the point of below the point of entry of a tube that's coming out of the sphere that ends up into a hanging bucket. Now that hanging bucket is attached to two poles with strings wrapped around them, right? Um, such that if you yep. hold the bucket down, the doors are going to open. Does that make sense? Yeah, so as the bucket pulls down, it pulls a rope, and then that makes the... Uh, it, that creates a spinning action on those poles. Exactly, exactly. Right. So we have, um, so we're going to have pressure movement, we're going to have gravitational movement, we're going to have circular movement, all different kinds of movement happening here, all because of pneumatics. Here's how it works. Yeah, a lot of good math here. Yeah, right? <laughs> it sounds like a physics problem to me. It does? No, you could, I mean, this is exactly high school physics. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I would love this in high school, yeah. <laughs> so what happens is the fiery altar doesn't actually produce steam. We're not interested in the steam anymore. But it heats up the air that's in between this half-filled sphere and the fiery altar, right? So we all know mm -hmm. that when you heat up air, it expands because the molecules get excited and they push away from each other. So that expanding air yes. creates a pressure, right? Which is going to push the water in the sphere out of the siphon. Make sense? Okay. You're nodding uh, your head, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, this pushes the water out of the siphon and into the bucket. Now, enough water gets into the bucket 
the bucket starts to drop, right? Because it starts to get heavy. Mm-hmm. And so as... And it pulls on that string. Exactly. And as it pulls on that string, the doors start to open slowly. How crazy is that? Very cool. And then... So really, I mean... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, you can extinguish the altar, and then the entire process resets itself. Right. So the thing that's heating up is, is it's air inside of the sphere, right? And then it expands, and that creates less room, and then uh, the siphon is probably at the bottom. Oh yeah, of the, the siphon. I said it was so at the top, but it would be at the bottom. Right, yeah. because that's that that way water is what's pushed yeah. out. And then the whole thing reverses itself because there's uh, when the air cools down inside the sphere, it creates a vacuum, which would suck the water back out of the bucket. Exactly. Now, if you're curious, we're going to have diagrams of all of these neat little inventions on the blog, so check it out. So, so the whole point of this really was just so that Greek priests could trick people into thinking that their ceremonies on the fiery altars was causing doors to open. Exactly. Right? Or like the fire yeah. of the gods is causing the doors to open and welcome the worshippers in. Because the first thing I thought about the automatic doors was, well, that's a really slow way to open those doors. <laughs> you're going to light the fire, you have to get the kindling going, yeah. and then it's going to take a while to boil. And... So I, f- I figure that you'd like light the fire like half an hour before people show up. Mm. That would be enough time to heat everything up. And... Maybe. I think you would make a whole show of it. <laughs> like you would, you know... To start it going, and then you chant, and you walk around, and you, you know... But the fiery uh, altar is inside I, the chapel, right? Did they call it a chapel? No, they didn't I, call it a chapel. My bad. I don't know. Um, well, I guess so, but the doors still have to open, right? Yeah. Where are the doors going? Where do you think? Well, I assume there's the a vault? back entrance for priests to come in and hang out. <laughs> oh, like <laughs> the green room. Yeah. But so, so like someone else, some like helper would light the fire, and then everyone would show up, and then, you know, just as they started to open, you know, some guy would go, ah! and then there'd be dry ice or something, and they'd walk out. It'd be like rock stars. Okay, I can buy that. <laughs> uh, this, uh, I still can't get his name right. Aaron of Alexandria uh, did a couple other cool ones, right? Some simple ones. He had uh, a cup that filled automatically, a uh, cup that emptied automatically, which is good. He was big He was big on doing reverses, which is nice. <laughs> he cleans up after himself. No, he totally does. I mean, it's funny because the emptying cup is for, like, if your guests are getting too greedy, and they're like, no, 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 fill my cup up more. It gets to a certain level, and then it all just goes on their lap. <laughs> that is... <laughs> I like that a lot! <laughs> That's the opposite, though, of uh, the ancient Chinese men, wooden men, <laughs> who would go and fill cups, and like the 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 lady who would sing the song that you should drink. Yes, more. yes, I remember them. They were great. I wonder if this if this says fundamentally different things about uh, Greek and Chinese ancient cultures. <laughs> hmm. Well, unfortunately, we have nothing else to say about that. Further, uh, other other cool inventions: the self-trimming oil lamp. I imagine that was a bigger deal at the time. The fire extinguishing device. Extinction device? Is that right? Let's see. I think the direct translation was fire extinguisher. So, yeah. It's like those big red things, but I think less efficient, but automatic. (laughs) Which was a big deal at the time. Uh, I'm going to quote directly from the outline that uh, our lovely Catherine wrote up and say, The list goes on as far as other 
Automata. It does go on for quite a while. Hey! We'll be right back on the Doom to Fail podcast with some complex issues. podcast still tim still Catherine, and still talking about heron of alexandria we want to get into some more complicated stuff right now because we sort of described the the cool i don't know opening the doors kind of deal um but he did some even more complex stuff which is even more impressive for somebody in uh the first century a.d he absolutely did tim you're right one thing that i think is really cool is um uh, I, I guess, would you call it a statue if it has, it's like a fountain, kind of. Like a really complex yeah. fountain. A complex fountain, let's go with that. <laughs> Which we've decided to categorize in the automata region. Because what happens <laughs> is there's birds that are whistling in this fountain, um, because of air passing. <laughs> and, uh, there's owls turning, and I don't know how you're gonna make that sound, Tim. Okay. So, this all starts with one of those stereotypical, like, lions or, like, cherubs that's, like, spitting water into a bath or, like, a fountain. That's where this all starts. So, it's spitting water into a bird bath where birds are, like, sort of hanging out around it. And an owl (laughs) is going to turn to watch them. And um, what happens is the lion or cherub is going to fill the bath. The bird bath is going to drain into a sealed container so air can't get in or out. Um, The water is going to displace the air that's already in that container. And so the air that's in there, that was in that sealed container, is going to be forced through the pipes in the sealed container. And these pipes start, like, above the water level and um, end in whistles in the bird's throat, right? So how cool is that? Yeah, the air is forced out and and there's some sort of whistle, right? Yeah. Cool. Exactly. Um... So what happens after that, because this is way more complex than that, is that... Yeah, we put this in the complex segment for a reason. (laughs) There's a problem that you could see happening, because, like, eventually water is going to fill up the sealed container and then flood the bird pipes, right? Exactly. And then no one needs that. Yeah, no, nobody wants to deal with that. So, um, what, what he did to fix this is he put, like, a siphon... At a given level, below that bird pipe level, and um, so that if the water goes at a certain level, the entire thing starts to drain. Now, when the entire thing starts to drain, it goes into a bucket, which is attached to a string similar to our friend the automatic door, um, which is wrapped around a pole, and that's what's going to turn the owl, right? So it drains into a bucket, bucket drops, owl turns, Right. right? And we already know the whole turning mechanism. So what I don't understand totally about it is is the siphon that drains the water. How does it drain all of the water? Because it seems like I'm picturing something like in a bathtub where it just drains what's at right. that level. Or like a, a bathroom sink. 
you know how it usually has a hole for it to drain through, but that wouldn't drain below the level of the hole. This is probably the part I don't understand the best either. What happens is it reaches a certain level, um, and I think that uncorks a valve, and the valve just stays up until the entire thing drains out, and then when the entire thing drains out... Oh, like in a toilet! Yeah, except huh. it's a certain water level that activates. Yeah, I can buy that. It's just basically a sort of a floaty valve or something like that, so that... It gets pulled open when the water hits that level, and then it won't go down until the water's at a lower level. Isn't that cute? So this is uh, sort of, it, it's like a precursor to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is this automatic theater. I mean, that would, that would be like in a garden, right? You would, you would sort of be out there watching uh, this thing repeat itself over and over. Yeah, well, I mean, the automatic theater actually isn't repeatable. Interesting. It actually takes a lot of time to set up, because this is the only thing we're going to talk about that doesn't have any pneumatics. It's literally just strings wrapped around different pipes, and then there's, or not pipes, but like wrapped around different spools, and then you wrap them around one way and the other way, and then there's weights and everything, and it just goes crazy, and the whole thing <laughs> maybe lasts about two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was a harder time back then to get uh, things. I'm at a point now where if it's not available on Netflix Instant, I'm upset with it. Yep. But yep, I'm there too. Here you had to wind spools for hours <laughs> to see two minutes of. Not much of a show. So you wind it five times this way and seven times that way, and then you hook it around this thing, and then it goes over here. Get it through the pulley. Oh, you missed the pulley? Well, it's never going to happen now. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, so this automatic theater was started by, um, a predecessor of Heron, Phylon of Byzantium, but we usually give Heron the credit for it, because he did so many other great things. Why not? He was so rich. Exactly. Well, so was Phylon. Yeah, that's because well, we know his name. I'm willing to bet Heron was richer, though. <laughs> it's the Doom to Fail podcast, which is about quirky things and class war. Those are the two <laughs> things it's about. Anyway, so the small theater is about three by two feet, maybe. It opens its curtains. It's like a box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it opens its curtains, and then little characters are going to run around, form the show, controlled by the strings and weights. But the cool thing is about this, the thing that's really, that people love to talk about this for, this is actually the first control system, if you think about it. So what do you mean control system? You're able to program it by wrapping the string five ways this way, and then three ways that way. It's going to go this far in this direction, and then that far in that direction. And I did that all beforehand. Yeah. So it's a control system. Which is system. cool. Yeah, it's a programmable system. How cool is uh, that? Super cool. Yeah, right? But I want to kind of go through the scene, or like the actual theater, with everybody, because it's kind of absurd. The thing of it is that it's programmable and all that, and that's very cool, but it was still the first century <laughs> AD, and uh, we're talking pretty limited as far as what you can do. Um, you're still just winding yeah. strings around yeah. spools with weights. And so, yeah, not a lot happens. Um, and one of the scenes here, scene one, 12 slave guys building ships. I hope that was the actual title. No, no, no. It was like 12 some race of people building ships. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're literally just like hammering back and forth really fast. <laughs> That's all the scene is. Because if there's anything people like to watch at the end of the day when they just need some entertainment, it's work. Further proof that everyone involved with this was super rich, because only rich people like watching hard work. So, we have that scene, the curtains close, and then the curtains open, and then the slaves are moving the ships into the scene, and that's all. That's the end of the scene. 
Well, okay, and then the curtains close again, and then uh, what? It's just it's it's just the empty sea for a while. That can't yeah. be right. Yeah, no, it's just it's like just... the empty sea, and you watch the, the waves, waves go, go back and, and down. forth. Yeah, a little bit. So that's exciting. Then it closes again. Yeah, <laughs> and then dolphins. Yes, there's dolphins. We see the ships again. The ships are out. They're having a good time, and then there's dolphins jumping. And remember those dolphins. Those dolphins are important. <laughs> <laughs> because next, close the curtains. The ships are gone! Where'd they go? Doesn't matter. You still have dolphins. <laughs> it's just dolphins, yep. Oh, where would we be without them? Curtains close. Next scene. Crazy sea storm! Say it together, say it together. One, two, three. Crazy, Crazy sea storm! storm. <laughs> I don't know if there are dolphins there or not. No, though. there's still dolphins. In the crazy really? sea storm. Why are the dolphins hanging out in the crazy sea storm? These are the questions I don't want to ask. Possibly because someone <laughs> wound the spool too many times. The dolphin spool. Yep. Those damn dolphins. Curtains close. Why don't you say this word? And then we have now, now Plyos, I believe his name is. And Athena. Now, now Plyos, you might not have heard okay. of. He is an Argonaut, which is essentially just a super famous Greek hero. Of Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah, that's a story. Hercules oh, rode with them for a oh, while. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Look for it in my favorite book, Cartoon History of the Universe. Yay! I mean, it doesn't. the book doesn't present that as history because it's a myth, but it talks about it. <laughs> Anywho, it's two of these people. Now, Pleos and Athena, they're hanging out. They, they got this burning torch. Like, look, I got a torch. And Athena's like, oh, sweet. End of that scene. Do you think they moved? Or like, what, what's the movement in that scene? Were they all just standing still or... That sounds just like a picture. <laughs> what, from what I read, there wasn't any movement implied. But there may have been. It's hard to say. Curtains close. Curtains close. Reopen. And now we have Ajax. And where Ajax came from, I'm not really sure. But hey, I'm not a historian. Anyway, he's hanging out. And then there's sunken ships everywhere. And he's really upset. He's like in grief and prostrate and all that crap. So. Prostrate? Prostrate in grief. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, no, he's... Well, I mean, your entire everybody you knew and hung out with for the past billion years just died. Billion years? It took forever to get anywhere, right? Yeah, it was a different life, you know? But they could, they could easily just spend that time winding spools and watch the <laughs> show at the end. So. So, wait, basically, do you think what happened was uh, they built a ship and then the storm happened and then somehow Athena was involved in destroying the ship and now this guy's sad that the ship's yes yeah are burned or something and then okay yeah athena shows up and that's pretty much it Curtains closed <laughs> in the last mm -hmm. scene athena shows up. but i mean that's that's kind of just like a crowd pleaser right you never come back for a curtain call and everyone goes whoa athena exactly so that was uh yeah that's the opus i guess of heron of alexandria but i I imagine that just blew people away. I mean, honestly, that's the sort of thing I would definitely just go watch if I was in, like, you know, a children's museum or something, or a science museum. One of those things where, if I was if I was walking past that and I saw pulleys and, like, a little show happening, I would totally watch the whole thing. Well, yeah. No, I, it's, it's amazing that a lot of these things are still so, like, jaw-droppingly cool today. Yeah. People like <laughs> little things worrying and moving. I do. I mean... I mean, really, that's what spurred this podcast. Yes, that's how we got here. We'll be right back on the Doom to Fail podcast.
Podcast, and we are back. Catherine, we have some very exciting news, don't we? So exciting! It's so great. Why don't you uh, tell the people what's up? Turns out somebody wrote us a review, which is unexpected and wonderful, all at the same time, don't you think, Tim? I'm so excited. I don't believe uh, that at all. You're so sarcastic all the time. God, this is just what happens. You know... You're sarcastic 90% of the time, and suddenly everyone <laughs> says, oh, you're just crying wolf about being excited or interesting or having feelings. <laughs> That's true. That's feelings. exactly what happens. <laughs> um, the point is, I'm super excited about this because this review is really nice, and it gets at exactly what we're trying to do, and um, I think it uh, really encourages us to keep keep working on. It does. I Yeah, I am filled with joy and happiness after reading this each and every time. So, should I read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, it's from Jack Chimney, and he gave us five stars, and the title is Clever and Enjoyable. And it reads, Recently, I've been looking for podcasts which were both intelligent and casually funny. Interestingly, that's exactly what we were going for. (laughs) I think, yeah, that was in one of the planning sessions. Yeah, that might have been, like, what I pitched. (laughs) (laughs) Let me start over. (laughs) So, recently, I've been looking for podcasts which were both intelligent and casually funny. Doomed to Fail fits that bill 100%. The hosts have great chemistry, and their choices of topics are well thought out. I particularly enjoy the toy inventor segments. I really hope the show is not doomed to fail! Also, I'm always glad to hear Jonathan Richmond get some respect. Who is so good. Did I tell you the story about when I met Jonathan Richmond? No, no, no. You didn't tell me the story. Go ahead. Oh, so Jonathan Richmond played in Visalia, the town where I live, and I, I was like, oh, I have to go see Jonathan Richmond. Are you kidding me? So I went, and he was awesome, and uh, afterwards, I, uh, my friends were just like, oh, well, you, you love Jonathan Richmond so much, you should go get a picture with him, because it was a small venue, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I, I really don't like meeting uh, band people, because what, what are you going to say? You're just like, oh, thanks, you're super good. Like, I have nothing to say to him. That's true. You do hate that. I've been there with you. (laughs) That has happened. (laughs) It keeps coming up. Anyway, so they convinced me, like, oh, we'll go get a picture with him. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'll go. You know, uh, I'm not going to get another chance to see Jonathan Richmond. He's he's like a legend. Not in Visalia. A cult legend. Probably not. But so I go up to him, and he's just on the stage. And I said, hey, that was a really great show. And he just kind of, like, looks at me. He's this old, like, haggard-looking guy. I think he did, like, a ton of acid back in the day or something. And he looks at me, and he goes, like, you know, gives me the thumbs up. And I'm like, all right, cool, cool. And, uh, hey, would you just mind if I uh, took a quick picture with you? And he, you know, looks thumbs up again. And then we go and uh, sort of pose, and he's, like, kind of half-touching me with his arms sort of around me. Oh, I hate that. And, uh... Yeah, and he's, like, staring not at the camera, but, like, off into the distance. It was very confusing, and I smiled, and he took the picture, and my friend was like, oh, good. And then we both went, like, hey, thanks again, that was really great, we're, we're glad you came. And he just, like, kind of gave this whole, like, uh, arm movement, like, yeah, keep on keeping on, guy. But he didn't, and then, then we walked away, and he did not say a word to us. Wow. It was weird. Maybe he saves his voice for singing only. Could be. He, had, he, had, he played some great, great songs that I hadn't even Maybe heard. Maybe he's a part-time mime. That's it. That is definitely it. Yeah. He's a, if anyone would do it, it's him. Yeah. I'll, uh, I will post the goofy picture of myself with Jonathan Richmond to the blog. All right. 
I think we just about buttoned this one up. I think so. That was the Doom to Fail podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed talking about um, Heron of Alexandria, who's actually pretty cool. What I really like about that was that's totally like stuff that we as chemical engineers learned in college. Like, I don't know, like freshman year, you picked all that stuff. Oh, up yeah, like, definitely. Which is really like, cool. Just pipes and movements and stuff like yeah, that. No yeah, no one told us so, it was actually this cool. <laughs> yeah, right? There was never any, not one <laughs> professor lit an altar on fire. I not know, one. right? <laughs> What, what, what showmanship? If I'm ever a professor, I'm doing that. <laughs> Which, inevitably, you will be. Oh, gosh, it's going to happen, isn't it? So, yeah, please come back next week. We will be talking on our Toy Adventure series, specifically the Rubik's Cube. I hope you come back. Oh, God, I'm starting to sound desperate. Um, I swear I say other things at the end of this. <laughs> Do you know any of them? Um, well, I know it's Tim Dobbs over there. And Catherine Cogart over here. We flipped it this week. Oh, man. <laughs> Doom to Fail podcast. See you soon. Bye. 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 This week's episode of the Doom to Fail podcast was accompanied by our musical guest, Pierlo. You can discover more episodes of the Doom to Fail podcast at doomtofailpodcast.blogspot.com or email us at doomtofailpodcast at gmail.com. If you really like the show, drop us a review on iTunes. <laughs>